just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I'm coming to you from a rainy Auckland afternoon where I'm chatting to Karishma Ranchod all about her diagnosis of Crohn's disease. In this episode, Karishma shares her diagnosis story, including the countless operations before anyone knew it was Crohn's, how her time in Starship Hospital has led her to be a volunteer for Radio Lollipop, her treatment journey and what the future holds. I also learn a little bit about pageantry and how Karishma managed to get her infusions over in the UK during a university internship. Whether you have Crohn's yourself or have never heard of it before, this episode is an excellent insight into what goes on behind the scenes of a somewhat invisible illness. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Before I start these interviews, I try to do a lot of research so that I'm all over everything. And when I was sitting down last night to try and think of what to say in this opening spiel, I was actually quite speechless because I was so moved by everything that you wrote to me about your story that I didn't really know where to start and where to begin. So Thank you for sharing so much with me already and I'm really excited to get to learn more from you today and share you with the That's So Chronic listeners. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I kind of hope that everything that I've been through will, I guess, inspire some other people. Yeah, absolutely. Already it has inspired me, so thank you so much. (laughs) Now, not only do you have two degrees, you volunteer at Starship Hospital, you have one numerous pageants here in New Zealand and you were about to represent New Zealand at at the Miss Planet International I before was, yeah. Yeah. COVID Probably. got in the way. Yeah, yeah, no it did. <laughs> but you also have a diagnosis of Crohn's disease. I do. Which we're going to talk about today and I believe we've got a lot to talk about. Shall we start with your definition of what Crohn's disease is? If someone listening doesn't know what it is, how would you explain it to them? Sure. So Crohn's disease causes inflammation in any part of the digestive tract Mm -hmm. and that's mainly due to an autoimmune response. So basically like inflammation kind of I guess appears kind of like what people more commonly know as like mouth ulcers Mm -hmm. but like all throughout the digestive tract. Yeah. Side note I've got an ulcer at the moment and it is causing me so much grief I can only imagine what that would be like in the digestive tract. No definitely very painful. Yes. Very uncomfortable. And I understand that your Crohn's disease affects the whole digestive tract. Some people it can just be like the small intestine or something like that. Yeah so I think commonly like Predominantly when you're most like first diagnosed, mm-hmm. it appears in your gut, so yep. the large intestine or the small intestine, mm-hmm. but it can occasionally spread to other parts of your digestive digest tract. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't even say it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so I get it in my mouth and my throat and my esophagus wow. as well, bits and bobs in my tummy. And so what does Crohn's disease look like for you every day? Like how does this appear? 
so Crohn's disease is like a disease that I guess goes through periods of flares Mm -hmm. um, and then it also you go through periods of like long periods of remission as well yeah basically like when I'm in remission my life is kind of normal I guess in a way whatever normal is to be honest I think everybody's normal is very different yeah but I guess my normal is just kind of like waking up and not actually noticing that it's there yeah you know just go through your day like normal Mm -hmm. um you know go to work go to uni yeah do all your activities as per usual but then I guess a flare adds a few more complications to mm-hmm. that I guess there's you know pain involved um, eating and drinking um, going to the bathroom can be very yeah. painful uncomfortable yeah. experiences but it just you know it, it becomes your new normal having a yeah. chronic illness yeah and so you kind of don't really know anything different yeah you get to reach a point we don't know anything different yeah and it just becomes a part of your life and you just keep going <laughs> and you were diagnosed with Crohn's when you were 12 years old I was I was quite young yeah so let's go all the way back to 2009 yeah. how did this all start for you so it actually started off with a cyst that I had mm-hmm. and so I remember going to the doctors to get it checked out and I actually remember going by myself to that appointment oh, wow. as well because my mum and dad were busy with work yeah um, and I feel, felt quite proud and grown up yeah. to be going to the doctor on my own but no, it was all good and went and showed the doctor and mm-hmm. she was like, oh, let's just give you some antibiotics, see how it goes. Yeah. If it gets worse, you can come back in a week. Okay. Didn't think too much of it. Mm-hmm. Went home, took my medication as prescribed. Yep. <laughs> and then I guess I guess a few days went by and it wasn't improving. I guess the pain sort of became more and more unbearable. Yeah. And so we went back to the doctor and she actually said that I had to go to Starship. So she, oh. she said that because it wasn't getting any better, right. she wanted to get a second opinion and potentially maybe we'd have to operate on it to wow. get it drained out. Okay. So we went to Starship. Yeah. That was, I guess, where my whole Starship story began. Yeah. So what happened when you went to Starship Hospital? Um, so the doctors saw it and they were like, yeah, we're definitely going to have to operate on it. Mm-hmm. And so it was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon and they were going to do it that evening so it was quite urgent yeah but I think obviously because I was on the acute list more serious cases sort of came before me and then it got pushed back to the following day okay cool but no it was went fine yeah we had the surgery the next day it was a little bit scary because it was kind of like your first interaction with like such a serious condition almost yeah Um, but no it was we just went through normally. Yeah. Spent a couple of days at Starship with mm-hmm. some IV antibiotics and things like that. And I guess the doctors were kind of expecting it to heal and yeah. me to go back to normal. Yeah. But it, I guess that was just the start of something bigger that was about to happen. Okay. That was wishful thinking, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. So, but what happened next? So, I went home and it was like, it didn't get better, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so I had to come back to Starship and went through another surgery where they oh. did the, the repeated the exact same thing. Oh, okay. And that didn't happen twice. That happened six more times <gasps> after oh that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I ended up having um, eight surgeries in total <gasps> to drain the Is this abscess. when you were 12? 11. 11. <sighs> yeah. So this happened all over six months as well. Okay. So eight operations in six months. I don't yeah. know if that's good no that was good or safe but no we went in our starship quite a lot during that first year missed a lot of school Mm -hmm. I'm surprised I didn't have to repeat the year to be honest I was away that much but no it was it was difficult but like as a child you 
don't really understand the severity of things very much. Yeah. You just kind of keep going as things happen and you kind of just keep thinking that you're like everybody else and yeah. you're still normal. You don't really realise how intense yeah. and crazy things can be. Yeah, kids are so resilient as well. They Definitely. just bounce back like immediately. Exactly. And I guess the more serious stuff is more for the grown-ups to yeah. worry about, right? <laughs> How was your time in Starship Hospital? Do you remember much of this time? I do. Like, I think Starship kind of became my second home, yeah. if that makes sense. And I guess I remember, like, hospitals are not fun places to be. No. But Starship's different. Yeah. Like, it's really fun. Cool. Like, they, it's, I don't know if you've ever been to Starship. No, I haven't. But it's really bright and colourful. Okay, cool. And the nurses are lovely. Mm-hmm. Like, they, I think they approach their care in a really different way so they might yep. do in an adults hospital and even the doctors they're really warm and like the way that they talk to you is, is in a way that you understand it yeah you know oh that's amazing like they definitely let you take ownership of your health like even it's like you know a child which mm-hmm. is really great to see because I think you know kids are smart oh they, yeah they need to be given more credit yes absolutely um, but no Starship was amazing how old until you are part of Starship care you're up until just before you turn 18. Oh, okay. Amazing. But I think generally, like, as soon as you reach, like, 14 or 15, they automatically get you to go to the adults' hospital okay, rather yeah. than um, come into Starship. And you obviously enjoyed your time at Starship. I mean, enjoyed with inverted commas because it's <laughs> kind of hard to enjoy eight surgeries in six months. Yeah. But you obviously had an okay time that you've gone back to volunteer at Starship. I did. So I think... So I volunteer at Radio Lollipop. I don't Mm -hmm. know know much about Radio Lollipop, but um, they're an international children's charity that provide, you know, play, comfort, care, entertainment, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing for kids in hospital. Okay. So it's an amazing service. So basically as volunteers, you just go into the kids' rooms Mm -hmm. with a basket full of crafts and toys (sighs) and games. Amazing. And you can just hang out with them. Like, you know, you can make some crafts and enter them into the competitions that we have running. Oh, cool. um, Win some cool prizes have a chat with the kids, Mm -hmm. listen to some cool music, that kind of thing. It's really, really nice. Yeah. It's nice to be able to go into a room where you're not actually demanding anything from the child Mm -hmm. and they have the option of whether whether or not they want you there. Yeah. Which is kind of different from other people that might visit them throughout the day that might Mm -hmm. want to poke and prod them or want something from them. Yeah. um, Might want to do an uncomfortable procedure or that kind of thing. Yeah. It's been amazing being a part of Radio Lollipop. I think... Selfishly, I kind of joined to begin with because I kind of missed the whole Starship environment after I was transferred to adult services. But I think that sort of attachment has kind of shifted in a way where I'm now more there to, I guess, be a part of a person's life when they need it the most Mm -hmm. um, and create some special memories for them and their families. And it's really cool to be a part of something like that, especially when you know what that's like having been on the receiving end of it yeah. as well. Yeah, I was going to say, do you remember anyone coming in to your room when you were there? I do, I do. On multiple occasions, actually, we just had, you know, different volunteers on each night that would come in and play mm-hmm. games, just have a chat as well. Yeah. Just probably something that you, it's the kind of support that you need that you don't realise you need. Yeah, it's hard to ask for that sort exactly. of support. Yeah. And it's like, because they're strangers as well, there's no... You know, you don't really feel like you're burdening anybody. Yeah. You know, like you are with maybe friends or family that you might know. And so they do these eight surgeries. They think that it's going to be helping, but I am assuming that after the eighth surgery, things were still happening for you. No, definitely. Things were... That was just the beginning. Yeah. I guess a lifetime (laughs) of problems to come, but that's okay. 
So I think what was happening with these cysts were they were healing from the outside in. Okay. And so there was always, um, like, I guess, an infected part that was still remaining on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was just a bit d- difficult for them and they were kind of wondering how they were going to approach that. But I think up until when I had my sixth surgery, I started developing some abdominal pain. Oh, okay. And basically eating and drinking was becoming more and more difficult. Right. Um, I was becoming feeling fairly nauseous mm-hmm. and vomiting a lot. Um, I was vomiting every day, to yeah. be honest, and losing oh. a lot of weight. Yeah, it was not good. Yeah. Is that when they started investigating what that might be and when did Crohn's suddenly become this thing that they were talking about? So it wasn't until after my eighth surgery that they decided to explore my abdominal pain. Okay. I think at the start they thought uh, all young kids get tummy aches, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not sure that they believed me in a way as well. Yeah. I think when you're a frequent flyer it can become quite hard and it's nobody's fault. It's mm-hmm. just, I guess, the way it is. Yeah. And so it wasn't until my eighth surgery and I was vomiting a lot and I'd lost, I think, about five to ten kilos. Yeah, wow. And I was become like borderline underweight yeah. as well. That they decided to explore that and so they decided to do a colonoscopy. Okay. They were able to look into my gut and yeah. find inflammation and I guess that's wow. kind of where the diagnosis begins. Did they then decide to start you on a treatment plan? Were you offered any medication for this now that it was Crohn's disease? Yeah, so they knew it was Crohn's. And I guess the first I guess the first line of treatment mm-hmm. um, was a little drug called azathioprine. Okay. So basically it's an immunosuppressant and damages your immune system to hopefully make the inflammation not reoccur. Yeah. But I didn't start on that straight away. Okay. I think my parents were quite resistant to it. There was yeah. a small chance of that drug affecting your liver okay and my granddad would just been on it and he was that one percent that got affected by it and sadly he passed away yeah and so my parents were quite resistant for me to be on this medication yeah completely understandable definitely so my first I think the first treatment that I was on was on prednisone Mm -hmm. it's a type of steroid yeah so basically that just I guess reduces your inflammation and dampens Mm -hmm. it down definitely a miracle drug but I think what you don't realise is that I think when you try and treat one thing with something, yeah. there's a whole lot of side effects <laughs> yeah. that come along with it. Yeah. Um, that's just the start of it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, st- steroids are a tricky thing. Yeah, definitely they work. Like, yeah, they're amazing, <laughs> but... So I know that you've been on a whole variety of medication for your Crohn's and a whole bunch of different treatment options as well when was it that by taking the prednisone it wasn't really working anymore was that quite soon into this or were you did you have a few years so the thing with prednisone is that you can't actually be on it for a long period of time because it affects your bones Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and because I was quite young you know that's when you're growing and going through puberty and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and so you can't you don't want to like you know ruin your chances of growing I guess um, into a normal healthy adult (laughs) So I think I was only on prednisone for about eight weeks before mm-hmm. I had to come off it. And so then we had had to start looking into like more long-term okay. kind of treatment. So then that was when I had to start on the azathioprine. Okay, yeah. And I guess to ensure that my liver wasn't affected, I had to have weekly blood tests mm-hmm. just to keep an eye on things. And yeah. that was fine. Just go to the yeah. lab test after school, get yeah. a blood test. <laughs> um, wow. 
but that I guess that wasn't very easy either. I think by then all of the veins in my arms had been scarred. Yeah. And there was just nothing left for them to yeah. draw blood from. Yeah, they were like, please, no. Yeah. Do not go in there again. Oh, to, to this day, I'm every nurse's worst yeah. nightmare when drawing blood. Yeah. <laughs> my veins are just too deep and too scarred and yeah. too thin. Yeah. But no, so I was as on as a labyrinth for a couple of years. And what? how do you take as a fibrin? It's a tablet form. Okay, so I just take that at night before bed. Yeah. It just kind of becomes part of your normal routine. You don't actually realise yeah. how normal taking medication every day becomes. Yeah. But I was on that and I was on Pentaza as well. Okay. They're very big tablets and very difficult to swallow. Yeah. Very dry. So you have to definitely drink a lot of water to get those down. Yeah. And I was on quite a few at a time as well. So I was, had to take two twice a day. Wow. And it was just awful to get those down. But like you could always crush them and, mm-hmm. you know, to dissolve them and then drink them and that kind of thing as well. So there was always ways to get around it, which is always helpful. Yeah. And was it working? The thing with Crohn's treatments is that they don't last forever. Yeah. Everything's temporary. Okay. Your body sort of becomes immune to yeah. these drugs and, you know, you have to try other things. Mm-hmm. And so I think those things only worked together for a couple of years. Yeah. But even then, like, things weren't always smooth sailing. I'd still have mild flares in between. Yeah. I think you kind of just learn to live with a certain level of inflammation in your body and like a certain level of symptoms that you just have to tolerate Mm -hmm. without letting it, you know, get you down or get you in hospital and that kind of thing. You just have to get through it the best way you can. Yeah. So I was on those two medications for a while and then I think my doctor put me on this new medication. It was called methotrexate. Okay. So that's a type of chemotherapy as well. It was given to me in a syringe mm-hmm. and I'd pick up like, I guess, three months worth from um, the hospital every so often and I could do the injections at home. Okay. The district nurse would actually come over and do them okay. for me because there was no way I was going to inject yeah. myself. And because you're super young at this stage as well. Exactly. I was thinking I was only 14 at the yeah. time. And so the nurse would come in at morning tea at school to do it for me. Wow. Just because they work Monday to Friday, not so much on the weekends or after hours. Mm -hmm. And because it was a type of chemotherapy, I'd always feel really sick afterwards. It was awful. I think out of all of the treatments I've been on, that one was by far the worst. Mm -hmm. It didn't make me feel very good at all. And And you would stay at school? During this time? I would. I would. But I think towards the end of it, I j- it just became too much. And yep. so I, like, on more and more occasions, I would just go home by lunchtime. Mm-hmm. But that was just, that just meant that I was missing more and more school, yeah. which was really difficult as well. And how often were these injections? They were weekly. Weekly, okay, yeah. Yeah. So it was, wasn't even like, like, I think by the time it was given, it, I spent the entire weekend just trying to, like, yeah. I guess sleep it off or yeah. recover from it and then you'd feel normal and then all of a sudden you'd have to do it all over again yeah it was quite challenging because it was a type of chemo did you experience any of the chemo side effects like I know that there's things with nails and with hair did you experience any of that I think not to the same extent yeah I think we'd probably only get like a mild dose mm-hmm. but even then like yeah. mild dose affected me really badly yeah um and I can't imagine what cancer patients have to go through with the full force doses but it was it was really difficult yeah and when I think I I think we just reached a point where I couldn't do it anymore like I wasn't able to 
you know, commit to my studies and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, being on a medication of that sort. Okay. And so we decided that we would move on to a biologic biological yes. therapy. Amazing, which I was learning about these because I had, didn't really know much about it at all. And so it is immunotherapy, isn't it? Where they can use portions of the body's natural immune system to then treat the disease yeah is that right exactly and they all um target like a different area of your immune system as well and that's sort of why they're so effective because like different i guess treatments will like everyone's bodies will respond differently to different types of treatment as well so yeah no so i was on an injection called humira okay it was kind of it was in a pen type format, like an EpiPen yep. type thing. So it was a little bit easier to do. I mm-hmm. could do those ones myself. And so I was on those for a few years as well, mm-hmm. um, every fortnight. Okay. That worked quite well for me as well mm-hmm. for a few years until a point, I guess, where they decided to check my levels okay. of the drug in my body and yeah. they found nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, which was very strange, I think, um, even looking back. Um, now I think it was a bit of a mystery as to why there wasn't anything remaining in my drug uh, in my in the body yeah in my body so yeah no that was difficult wow and so then it's on to another type of treatment exactly um and that's when I started on infliximab so I've probably been on infliximab for about six years now okay so that's an infusion mm-hmm. it's given every eight weeks okay and so basically you just spend a morning or an afternoon in the hospital hooked yep. up to an IV pump and infused into your body when I first started on infliximab it worked really well okay I'd notice a difference straight away it's definitely probably one of the treatments that I found most effective in my journey with Crohn's and are you still on infliximab now I am but I'm on it every four weeks okay and at a slightly higher dose as well okay what happened to be increasing this dosage then so I think for the first two years of infliximab it was all fine every eight weeks was working Mm -hmm. Um, it would keep me going but then I think as the years went on it would wear off, I would say, the week before it was due. Yeah. And so slowly, slowly from eight weeks, it's come down to every four weeks. Yeah. Which has been quite challenging. Yeah. I'm not ex- entirely sure that they're allowed to give it to me <laughs> that frequently. Yeah. But it's happening and it's working, so yeah. it's okay. Um, like it's definitely one of those drugs where you have to get like a special authority to prescribe as well. Okay. And so I think it was quite a challenge for them to get more of it for me. Yep. But I'm sure they put together a strong enough case. Yeah. Here we are. Do you have to do a yearly review of that for Pharmac or is it kind of like they've done that paperwork now and you can get it for as long as you need to? I can get it for as long as I need Amazing. to. Amazing. Yeah, no review necessary, which is good. And so during this time when you're on these infusions... You do an internship over in the UK. Yes, I do. How Um, did that work with getting infusions every eight weeks? So it was really challenging to organise. Okay. I remember calling up my IBD nurse to say, "Um, so I've got this internship in the UK. It's three months and um, (laughs) can I go? Yeah, please. (laughs) Um, and I think she, at the time she was like, let me talk to your doctor and I'll get back to you. Yeah. No, so she got back to me and she said that, you know, the fact that it was three months meant it was something that they could work with. Mm -hmm. She said that if any longer than that, and she said we might've been having a very different discussion. Yeah. And I think that was the first time in my life where I kind of realized that maybe I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. Yeah. 
which was really kind of hard for me. I don't like to be told what I can and can't do. Yeah. You know, you like to think that you're just like everybody else and yeah. every opportunity is available to you. And that's kind of like a lot of what the narrative is around these chronic illnesses when you get diagnosed. Everyone, like doctors are very quick to be like, I promise you, you can still do what you want to do. Things won't change. And it's like, well, actually the logistics of living this life like everybody else exactly there's a few more things we have to consider exactly it's really difficult like just like getting travel insurance was impossible yeah like nobody wants to cover a pre-existing condition no and anyone that does will charge you an arm and a leg yeah. to <laughs> cover you but no we I found an insurance company that was okay with paying for anything Amazing. Crohn's related yeah which was important for me because I feel like Crohn's is so unpredictable. Yeah. Like even if you're feeling fine one day, you can completely wake up the next day and be yeah. not in control, which is really scary. But no, I paid, I think it was like $500 for travel insurance at yeah. the time, which was, I was so upset about because it was yeah. quite a lot. But I think it was definitely worth it. But no, so with my infusions and in overseas, so my IBD nurse put me in touch with, I guess, the service called IBD Passport. Okay. So it's where... IBD nurses, hospitals, gastroenterologists sort of provide resources and support for people wanting to travel with mm -hmm. IBD. And so I was able to get in touch with, I think I sent out an email and CC'd in 50 NHS <laughs> trusts in, the, in London. Yeah. And I was like, so this is me. I'm Krishma. I have Crohn's. I get in Fliximab every five weeks at that point. Yeah. And would you be able to do it for me if, during my internship? Yeah. I think about six people replied mm -hmm. out of the 50 hospitals yeah. I emailed. And five of them said no. Okay. They said that I think the issue was that I was getting it five weekly. And okay. in the UK, they only give it like between six to eight weekly. Right. Okay. Which was going to be a challenge. Yeah. And then I was so worried at that point. I was like, well, I can't go if I can't have yeah. my infancy map. Like I actually rely on this. Yeah. And I can't get it six weekly. Like I know I'd be really yeah. sick for two weeks otherwise. And yeah. that would just ruin the experience. Exactly. But luckily I think the last hospital replied to me and they said that they were okay with it. Oh, as amazing. long as I brought the drug over with me. Okay. Okay. Um, and they were just able to... I guess, prepare it um, and yeah. do the infusion. Mm -hmm. But thank God they were able to do that. Yeah. I think out of 50 and only one like one hospital being able to do it yeah. was just like really slim, like really slim odds. And did you have to pay for that appointment where they would administer the drug? No, I didn't. Okay. So I think because I'm from New Zealand, I think they have this agreement between the two countries okay. where like New Zealand citizens don't have to pay for treatment over there. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, provided it was in like a public hospital setting. Yeah. Um, so that was fine, which oh, was good because I was worried about how much that was going to cost as well. Yeah. But it's okay. <laughs> and speaking of cost, is Infliximab funded by Pharmac here in New Zealand? It is funded, mm -hmm. luckily. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's one of the few things that are funded by Pharmac. Yeah. Which means that after this, I'm going to run into some trouble. Yeah. So... Um, Crohn's and Colitis New Zealand are actually advocating for more treatments to yep. be funded by Pharmac at the moment. So two of these are called Stellara and Vidolizumab, but they're very expensive and Pharmac hasn't 
approved them to be funded in New Zealand, which is just proving to be really difficult. Yeah. And I think with the amount of infliximab that I'm on at the moment, I would definitely qualify to move on to something new. Yeah. But because it's not funded, yeah. it's just a shame that I kind of have to keep going the way I'm going. Because I think, uh, did you say that it would be like $20,000? It would be. So I got the costs. I requested the cost breakdown from mm-hmm. my nurse and doctor in case that, like, you know, the time did come for me to have to pay for it myself just because I feel like I want to do life. And, yeah. you know, there comes a point where you just have to do what you have to do to yeah. get there. And so Stellara, which is probably my next point mm-hmm. of treatment, is given in an injection form. Yep. And so it's probably given every 8 to 12 weeks depending okay. on the severity of your illness. Yeah, but each injection costs six thousand and eighteen dollars. <sighs> yeah, but there is like a cost sharing program that you can, I guess, be a part of with the pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. So you pay for one, and then they pay for one. I guess yeah. to begin with, anyway. Yeah, and then after that, I think the entire cost is on you. Wow. But I guess it was good to know about it in case you know that time did come round. Yeah, to needing it. I know a lot of people that have Crohn's disease have the option of a surgery and then having a colostomy bag. Mm-hmm. Is that an option for you? So I've actually already had a surgery before. Mm-hmm. I had a surgery back in 2017. Mm-hmm. So I had a bowel obstruction. So one portion of my small intestine had just become so narrow that food was just not going through anymore. And basically, like, yeah, it was just made, like, eating a very uncomfortable experience. I just had to eat, like, very, I guess, pureed, um, yeah. almost liquid food just to ensure that it wouldn't get blocked up. And I think from imaging, they said that there was about seven centimetres of narrowing that they needed to remove. Mm-hmm. But when I woke up from my surgery that actually removed 97 <gasps> centimetres of my small intestine wow. which was a huge shock I was not expecting that yeah I mean you know that imaging has its limitations but not to that extent yeah. right 97 is a lot that's a lot 97 centimetres that's like a meter yeah it's like your arms man almost. yeah but like we've got six meters of our small intestine so what's a meter yeah we can live without it (laughs) but no um so I had a surgery already and it was I think I got six months of complete remission after that wow it was amazing like just to wake up every morning and be like actually today I'm not gonna feel sick yeah I'm not gonna have a tiny bit of pain that I'm gonna worry about Mm -hmm. but no it's amazing I was kind of promised five years Yep. <laughs> but hey, you know, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to complain. I think with me, because my Crohn's is so complex yep. and it's in multiple areas of my digestive system, an ostomy bag was just not an option for me yet. Yeah. I think maybe as my, I guess, degree, um, disease progresses, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it might come to that. And so there was a moment where you got a feeding tube. There was. So... Last year, I was having a moderate flare, I would say, Mm -hmm. and the doctors wanted to give me prednisone, but I was quite resistant to it. And so I guess a less invasive form of treatment was to go on an elemental diet for two months. Okay. And I guess what that involves is just having a feeding tube in and, you know, you're fed liquid supplements or liquid nutrition Mm -hmm. for that duration of time. And 
that just I guess gives your bowel a bit of a break from yeah. digesting food yeah and you know the stress of digesting lots of like rough foods I guess yeah. as well with Crohn's it's also that because it is like the lining of the digestive tract a lot of nutrients can't go in so I imagine that this is also helpful to just exactly. get you know some nutrients much needed nutrients that we need definitely definitely and I actually got my feeding tube in, I think, the week before the first COVID lockdown. Oh, wow. I know. And it was like, I think the week be- the week that I got it in, afterwards I went to uni mm-hmm. with my feeding tube in. And I found that really difficult. Yeah. Like, prior to getting it in, I was like, that's okay. I can do it. Like, sure, people will look. But it's fine. They just look. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know? But no, as soon as I got to the bus stop and I was like, I couldn't get out of the car. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, people look like mm-hmm. they'll know that something's wrong with me. But my mum was like, you know, if you don't get out of the car today, you're never going to get out of the car. Yeah. So no, I took the leap, I guess. And mm-hmm. I went to uni with my feeding tube in and it was hard. Like yep. everybody looks. And I think in a way that's kind of made me grateful that Crohn's is to a degree invisible yeah but no I was really grateful like in a way that lockdown happened a week afterwards and I think (laughs) I was able to stay at home for like level four and level three um while I had my tube in yeah but no I think I actually turned my feeding tube into more of an accessory as well like I cut out some cute shapes with the tape Mm -hmm. and like hearts and stars and dolphins and teddy bears and I think I did for Anzac Day I did a poppy yeah was able to accessorize it a little bit yeah <laughs> little things right that yeah it's finding the positives in these situations exactly but no it worked really well um the elemental diet like it worked really well while I was doing it yeah I think reintroducing food towards the end of it aggravated things a little bit more okay but I think that was expected they don't usually do elemental diets for older older people anymore it just doesn't it's not as effective and okay I think my doctor said like it was harder for older people to commit to yeah um, you know eight weeks with no solid food like it's definitely a lot harder than it sounds it works really well in pediatrics Mm -hmm. and I'd actually done it once before um when I was younger as well but without the feeding tube I'd actually have to drink the drink and that was hard yeah I can imagine and so um, my doctor suggested that we try a feeding tube this time around yeah. and see if that works better. And I like, prolonged it a few months bef- like till we finally decided that, yes, we were going to do this. Just because it was like, can I yeah. you know, have a tube coming out my nose and people knowing yeah. that I was sick? Like, you know, you just try to pretend that you're normal. And you, it's yeah. difficult to tell people mm-hmm. about a chronic diagnosis. So yeah it's like that's definitely confirms it you know yeah and it just means that it's a little bit more serious than people actually you know give you credit for sometimes yeah Yeah. so have you had a flare recently what what does a flare look like for you now after all of these surgeries and all of these different treatment options and on infliximab so I don't think I've had a like a full-on flare in a really long time like amazing I'm going to touch all the wood touch wood (laughs) (laughs) not since my surgery at least okay it's more that I kind of just live with a certain level of inflammation day to day Mm -hmm. and so that means that yeah I'll have a tummy ache here and there okay I will have a fever here and there yeah all the other side effects that you get with Crohn's and all the medications involved is fatigue a big one for you definitely yeah (laughs) definitely I honestly sometimes don't feel how like I have enough energy on a certain day. Like I'll get eight hours sleep and I'm still exhausted. Yeah. 
that's definitely something that I struggle with a lot mm-hmm. at the moment now that I'm working. Yeah. I think you lose a lot of the flexibility you had when you were studying. And so yeah. like things like, you know, having a nap in the afternoon, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> things like going home after your infusion and, yeah. you know, sleeping it off and like being, I guess, fresh and bright eyed the next day and yeah. is not something that I have anymore yeah and that's definitely something that I'm still trying to get my head around and working with day to day but when you wrote to me previously you said that having a chronic illness can just feel so isolating which I think a lot of people listening can completely understand I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on that for us yeah so I think having a chronic illness and particularly one that's invisible is really challenging. Like no one can see it from the outside, which is a good thing when Mm -hmm. you're trying to get on with life. (laughs) A blessing and a curse, right? Exactly. But then it means that, you know, if you say that you're tired or if you've got a tummy ache, people don't understand you in the same way that they would as if it was something that you could see, which is really hard as well. I think a lot of people don't understand like the nature of having a chronic illness either like like they say like if you haven't been through it yourself yeah you, they don't understand it to the same way and that's quite difficult like I've, I've got a really supportive like network of friends and that's family amazing. which I'm super like grateful for but I think it's not the same yeah <laughs> like as someone that's gone through it themselves yeah I actually went to Camp Purple this summer and where I actually met I guess 80 other people with Crohn's and colitis which was amazing I can't believe I haven't been before and it took me this long to get there but honestly after a week of being you know surrounded by people who'd been through a similar experience as you yeah was amazing I definitely learned so much more about myself and my illness Mm -hmm. and just meeting people of different age groups as well with an illness was so you know valuable to have as well because you can see how it affects people at different age groups and how their illness impacts people at different stages of life as Mm -hmm. well yeah like I guess the things that you know affect me now like for example navigating you know work and um, uni and things like that with a chronic illness are things like you know later down the track that I might not have to worry about and things like maybe having a family and yeah. navigating relationships and things like that will be something that I have to worry about as I kind of become older yeah and then I guess when you're a child you don't worry about all yeah. those things at all and you just kind of want to be a normal child and have fun and yep, play totally. and that kind of thing and so that's the most important thing exactly and so I think that probably why camp was so amazing because you kind of have a whole support network of different age groups so like no matter what stage of life you're in there's someone that you can talk to that's been through it that's amazing um, and can you know you can look up to and be inspired by there are a lot of these different alternative types of treatments that people like to this people like to tell you that you should try (laughs) to help your chronic illness I'm wondering if you have tried any of these things I have actually I think um, a few years after I was diagnosed a friend of my parents was talking to them about chronic illnesses and how their daughter was actually cured from her chronic illness by um, doing colonic hydrotherapy. And of course, my parents wanted me to give it a go. And as a child, you can't really say no. <laughs> 
So there I was and we gave it a go. And basically colonic hydrotherapy, they essentially flush water throughout your mm-hmm. entire gut yeah. in the hope that, you know, it clears things up for mm-hmm. you. Um, it's a very unpleasant experience. But no, so we tried that for about six to eight months. Yeah. So I'd go in every fortnight and they would flush out my entire system and um, I'd have to go on this special diet while I was doing that as well. Is that kind of like detoxing? Detoxing, yeah. yeah. And I'd have to drink all of these herbal remedies mm-hmm. and things like that. And honestly, having Crohn's and the number of different things and weird concoctions that you have yeah. to drink is <laughs> awful. Um, like there's been so many different things I've had to drink that just do not taste yeah. pleasant. But anyway, going back to colonic hydrotherapy, I think I was on it for about eight months. And in the end, it didn't end up working. This yeah. doctor told me to come off all of my prescribed medication while I was doing her I guess her treatment as well and so my parents were like yep let's do it and so um really committed yeah no I committed to it but unfortunately I think at the end of it I just like flared really badly and that was kind of like the last time we tried anything you know that invasive and that intense and I think it's such a good reminder that People might even have the exact same condition as you, but everybody is completely different. And what might work for one person might not work for somebody else. And so I think there's that real danger. of 100%. And I think Crohn's is one of those illnesses where everybody has a completely unique experience with it as well. And so like... Um, I noticed that at camp as well. Mm -hmm. Like everybody had the same diagnosis, but... I think their experience with it, their journey with it, how they live with it is mm-hmm. totally different. Yeah. But, you know, you can all sympathize with the same, yeah. you know, com- like the same common things that we might go through. Absolutely. Yeah. The extent of my knowledge of pageantry is definitely miscongeniality with Sandra Bullock. I think that's probably the, the most that I know. I'm wondering how that was with a chronic illness and especially a chronic illness like Crohn's that, like you say, is invisible but does have so many effects and how you found this and how it all started and whether <laughs> it has helped your confidence or, yeah. No, so I actually started pageantry after my first surgery. Wow back in 2017 so I was sitting in a hospital bed after my surgery and I just felt so low yeah and I was only doing part-time uni at the time as well Mm -hmm. I felt like that was probably while I was recovering it'd probably be safer to take a bit of a back seat for a while I was flicking through my Facebook and an ad came on that they were recruiting girls for Miss India New Zealand yeah and I filled out the application form. I was like, just, you know, have five seconds of courage and try something new. Yeah. Step out of your comfort zone. Um, you never know what exactly. could happen. Right. <laughs> and so I filled out the form with no intention to follow through with it. Yeah. I was like, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll find out more about it and then decide yeah. then. Yeah. Um, but no, so I filled out the application form, sent a few photos in. Yeah. And... I had got an interview and so I went along, met the director, we had a half an hour coffee chat and Amazing. talked about like, you know, what I wanted to get out of it and mm-hmm. what um, pageantry was all about and that kind of thing. And because it was Miss India New Zealand, there was an element of, you know, culture in that as well. And mm-hmm. so I didn't think it was going to be like, you know, your typical miscongeniality yeah. type of pageant. <laughs> it was going to be more like, you know, 
I guess girls that have been brought up in foreign countries being able to reconnect with their heritage yeah which is kind of important for me as well because yeah. I think living at living in New Zealand growing yeah. up in New Zealand you kind of I think lose parts of your culture mm-hmm. if that makes sense yep. in a way and I thought why not let's give it yeah. a go and it wasn't too intense like normal pageants are um, it was just a weekend of training and rehearsals before the final event. Yeah. So I did it and I the talent section was optional. Okay. But I thought if I'm going to try this, you want to go all in, right? Yes. Um, so I tried. Um, I learnt Bollywood dance for three minutes and I was good enough to perform on final night as well, mm-hmm. which was an interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> Scary, but it was nice. And I think it was really cool to see my parents I guess be really proud of me as well yeah. to give it a yeah. go and do that. So it was fun. I really enjoyed it and I placed second runner up wow. as well. So third place. Yeah. Which I was not expecting at all. Yes. Like I wanted to do it to like be able to learn how to speak in public and yeah. become more confident with myself and mm-hmm. like you know, I think after having surgery and all the scars on your body and yeah. that kind of thing, like you have a few body image issues. Mm-hmm. But no, like I think being a part of that be- helped me become more confident with yeah. who I was that's um, amazing and my culture helps you learn about your identity as well yeah. met some new people yeah people that you wouldn't normally meet yeah in your yeah. day-to-day life as well um so I really enjoyed that but I think it wasn't as intense or like it wasn't the complete pageant experience I guess that I was expecting so I thought let's sign up for one that is a little bit more intense yeah. <laughs> so what was that one so I think the next year I signed up for Miss Five Crowns New Zealand. Wow. And so I'd heard a lot about it and it wasn't, again, it wasn't your typical pageant. It was more about, you know, building self-confidence yeah. and uh, making lifelong friends mm-hmm. and using pageantry as like a platform to, I guess, share your message with the yeah. world and share yeah. your story with the world. And I think that was what I was about at the time. And I was like, I wasn't into all the fashion and modeling aspects of it. That really wasn't me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't very much of a girly girl growing up. I think, (laughs) you know, when you spend a lot of time in hospital, you're in track pants and baggy clothes all the time. Pajamas. Didn't even own a dress or a skirt at the time. Yeah. But I thought, why not? And it was amazing. Like I've made some incredible friends from pageantry that I Mm -hmm. still keep in touch with now. I raised about $4,000 for Youthline. Yep. That was our chosen charity. So I did a lot of bake sales at like the cool. Sunday markets. Yes, amazing. Different supermarkets and things like that. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the final night, I ended up winning a regional title. So <gasps> that was the top five placement. Yeah. And I won a charity queen title for raising wow. the most money. Mm-hmm. And then I even got first in interview. <gasps> so that was like, I was really proud of that. I guess I could take away, you know, intangible skills that I could use you know, in my everyday life, yes. like things like being able to fundraise, being able to public Absolutely. speak and things like that are valuable skills that you can use or transferable skills that you can use yeah. um, in your everyday life. Incredible. And so you're on Infliximab. Is there a sense of what the future is going to look like for you? Do you, do they kind of have a rough idea of how long Infliximab will be for? Well, I guess I'll be on Infliximab at least until Stellara becomes funded. Okay. I was, I had decided last year that I was going to self fund mm-hmm. it in January. And I just thought that, so I work in a big corporate and that itself is difficult and the hours are long. Yeah. Um, it can be quite stressful. And I thought that, you know, normal people will struggle with this. Yeah. And so I don't know how I'm going to do it. Yeah. 
And that was definitely something that I still am worried about. Yeah. But so far I've been okay. Okay, cool. Not perfect. Yeah. But I'm like navigating my way through it Mm -hmm. and um, learning what works for me and trying to look after myself at the same time, but then also keep up with the commitments of work. But no, so we're, I think like I've got the money saved up for Stellara if I need to use it. Okay. Yeah. I'm like I'm glad that I have that as a backup option yeah. but I know that like it's not f- like not everybody has that opportunity mm-hmm. which is really really like it's really hard and hopefully no more flares hopefully no more flares yeah I think still like the hard thing about Stellara is that I know it's not going to work forever yes so maybe if we can prolong exactly starting it then it might last for a bit longer exactly so it's just about timing yeah and I guess making the most of every day absolutely just being brave and strong and getting through it the mm-hmm. best that you can right yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with everyone listening at home or wherever they might be listening from today so thank you so much oh thank you so much for having me Yay. it's been a pleasure I just want to say another big thank you to Karishma for being so open and honest sharing her story with us all today. If you want to find out more information about anything we talked about, head to the show notes or send me a message over on Instagram. I'm at That's So Chronic. As always, this podcast wouldn't be possible without your continued support. I really appreciate every review, follow, press of the subscribe button and like, comment and message over on Instagram. That all helps keep That So Chronic accessible to everyone around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly hope so thank you